This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak this morning about something that I've titled The Author of My Life. Um, and won't you open your Bibles or I'll read it to you from Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 and verses 2. Donna, wake up, man. Somebody get her some caffeine. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've got ideas about who we are and how we think we should live. But part of our introduction when we become born again believers is to get to a place where we recognize that you've been introduced to the author of all things. It says that he knew you before he formed you in the womb. He knew everything about you and and your design and what his purpose and plan was for your life before you were ever formed. So he knows everything about you. The importance about it is that there is such a synergy between who we are and God's plan for our life and who he is and what Christ has provided for us. And sometimes we can't always see the picture clearly because we think if I can give definition to who I am and how I should live, I'll be a happy person. And the challenge that we find sometimes in that space is that we have to come to a point of humility where we resign ourselves to the fact that God knows best. And because of that, he's going to do some stuff in us and through us that's going to introduce us to a reality that's different to what we had imagined. And so his plan for our life is going to be something which overshadows anything that you may have. And we need to be at a place where we recognize the value of that and we prepare to work together in partnership with him about that. You're in the process of writing the story of your life. Your story is being authored today, but your story is not being authored out here in front of everybody. Your story is not being authored in front of uh, your family or other people. Your, Your life is being authored in a secret place. Your life is being, seek, is being authored in a place inside of yourself where only two people ever go, you and God. He knows stuff about you before you know it. Sometimes we discover some stuff about ourselves that he already knew. But it becomes important because in that space is determining and defining the course of your life. You think your life is happening out there. You think what happens out there is your life. That's not your life. Your life is being authored on the inside. And everything is being constructed and put together so that you're able to go into your world and you're able to experience that world from God's paradigm, not from yours. That's what I want to speak about today. There's the gist of where we're going. Your life is being authored in the secret place. But he's given you a canvas. And your canvas is made new every morning. 
You wake up in the morning and who you are is given the opportunity to evidence itself on the canvas of your life. That everybody gets to see. The canvas of your life is how you engage with the people that you meet every single day. How do you engage with the challenges that you come across? How do you work in a way that you're, you're able to find the purpose for your life? All of those things are adding color and dimension so that when people look at you, they don't get to see your secret place, but they get to see your canvas. You can't separate your secret place from the canvas because everything that is put on the canvas comes from the secret place. I may not know the reason that you do what you do, but I can have a look at the way that you behave. I have a look at the way that you treat people. I have a, way that, I have a look at the way that you engage when you're confronted with challenges and issues. Nothing special about life for anybody. Everybody to varying degrees is going to have the same challenges that come in life. But how do you handle them? How do you deal with those things? The canvas of our life adds value and dimension to us because it also creates an opportunity for discovery. I didn't know sometimes some stuff that was inside of me until it came out. I said something. I reacted in a way that I was like, why did you do that? And then sometimes I handle things in ways that I'm not even aware of how it is. I can remember Sarah and I used to deal with some stuff sometimes. And because you, I mean, you've never had to deal with these things. And she said to me, she said, you're so strong in the way you handle stuff. I had no clue what she was talking about. Why? Because I, I, they're blind spots to our life and we can't always see the way that we come across. But other people get to read our canvas. And when people get to read your canvas, what they're saying to you is there's something on the inside. There's something in the place where it's being authored and it's not right. What do you want to do with it? The canvas of our life becomes really important. When God created you as a living soul, he created you as a cohesive being. I can't tell you how important that is. I, we, 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 for years, I was raised with the idea that my spirituality and my natural were two separate elements and, and two distinct entities. They're not. They're part of the cohesive whole that you call yourself. You cannot be one thing and live another. It's not possible. Who I am is how I live. And what determines who you are is your heart. The very essence of your being, the foundation, the fundamental part. It's the secret place where your life is being authored. When God created man, he took spirit, who he was, and he breathed it into man. The very heart and the very essence, the very fundamental part, at, at the very core of what spirit is all about, is something called heart. It's not an organ. It's a capacity. It's a capacity. It's the ability to be able to assimilate, to be able to make choices, to be able to define things. It's at the very core of what spirit is all about is the ability to be able to give definition to who I am. God has it, and I'll show you, we'll talk about that later. But it's the essence of who you are. When God breathed into you, not only did spirit come into your being and the, the principle of life gave life to your body and life to your brain and life to your, all your organs and everything kicked in. Why? Because spirit was put into that place. But spirit never came alone. Spirit came with heart. 
Spirit came with who am I? And in the context of who am I, as a complete living being, the thing is I have something called body which comes with brain. It comes with senses. It gives me stimulus and inputs all the time from my world. And so who I am is in a place where I'm living in a symbiotic relationship with all of these entities. I have spirit and I have heart and I have mind and I have brain and I have body and I have stimulus and all of this stuff is happening concurrently. And so it's important for me to understand who I am and define find the different components and what they are and their place in the economy called the living soul. The essence of who I am and how I define myself is how I express myself. I cannot divorce spirit from it. It becomes important because when we start talking about being coming to a place where we are led by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. They are two different things. They are not the same thing. To be led by the Spirit is to be at a place where you sit and say, I'm facing a challenge here, Holy Spirit. I need for you to come into this place. I need for you to open the eyes of my understanding. Give me recognition. Give me the ability of discerning. Give me the opportunity where you show me and you guide me which way I should go. It's being led by the Spirit. But that's not what he said when it comes to overcoming the flesh. He said, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is walking in the spirit? Walking in the spirit has to do with your identity. It has to do with who you are. What he's saying is the essence of your being. The very part that defines who you are is fundamentally embedded in spirit. And when who I am comes into that space, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come flooding into your place of being authored. And I'm going to be at a place where I allow you to partake of my life and my character. And I'm going to build things into you that come from my spirit. And it's going to redefine who you are. And because it redefines who you are, it'll redefine how you live. I walk it out all the time. It's because of who I am. I am. Walking in the spirit has very much to, has everything to do with the identity of who we are as people. People want to be fulfilled. People want to be happy. People want to get to a place where they recognize and they experience the fullness of purpose for their life. I want a sense of accomplishment. I want to know what I'm about. I want to get to a place where I feel as though I belong. I want to get to a place where I feel as I'm connected. I want to get to places where I feel as though I'm growing and and I have a sense of well-being about myself. Sometimes we, we think that we can give definition as to what's going to do that. The challenge with it is very often when we do that, we realize our goals only to come to the stark discovery that we don't realize the fulfillment that we thought they were supposed to offer. People all the time think that if they're wealthy, they're going to get X, Y, Z. It doesn't happen. They get to that place and suddenly they realize, I've got a great big fat bank account, but you know what? I'm still me. I may have fame. I may have power. I may have all kinds of stuff. I'm still me. It's nothing wrong with the stuff, but we're talking about the me. We're talking about the me. God does something tremendous when he comes into your life. Because what he begins to do is he not only introduces you to his nature, but he's going to change the very crux of what your desires are. 
Suddenly, other things are there. It's not that they're bad, but it's just you don't desire them the same way. Why? Because he's having influence in that space. He's authoring some stuff that's bringing about change and transformation in who I am. And so when people don't realize the fulfillment of what it is that they're looking to, very often the first thing that we do is we blame It's not my fault. You don't realize I was born on the wrong side of town. It's not my fault. You don't realize the tough hand that I've been dealt. It's not my fault. You don't realize what my upbringing was like. It's not my fault because I never had the same education that other people had. It's not my fault. Did you hear what she said to me? It's not my fault. Did you see what they did? It's not my fault because my boss is unfair. It's never me. It's everybody else's fault. And so God introduces us to the first principle. Be not conformed, but be transformed. What he's saying is this. Anytime you use the world as the source to give definition to who you are, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because what happens is I find it hard to navigate life because every time I move into space or a space where things don't work out the way that I think that they should, all of a sudden my foundation begins to wobble. Things don't work the way that they should. I don't want people to truly see who I am because they may discover that I'm not perfect. I react when something happens to me because all of a sudden, what is it going to illuminate about me? What might it say about who I am? I get hot when my teacher speaks to me the wrong way. Why? Because, well, did you hear what she said? What she said is inconsequential if you're not a conformist. The reason it's consequential is because the source that defined my being is the very thing that's interrogating that and is exposing me. He says, be not conformed, but be transformed. What he's saying is, I want to make you from different substance. I'm not going to make you from the world. I'm going to make you from who I am. Understand, look at what he said. He didn't sit and say, I'm going to change life. He didn't say, I'm going to change the challenges. He didn't say, I'm going to change people. He's talking to you. Why? Because he's going back to the secret place. What he's saying is, if we can redefine some space, something in that space, you will be a different person. What I want to introduce you to is what does it mean to be gentle? You see, when he introduces that to our life, it is part of who he is. It's part of his nature. And when he introduces that to us, what ends up happening is we live from the secret place. We live from who I am. So we live from a different disposition. Gentleness is going to display itself on the canvas of my life. If I can change what's happening in here, my canvas will look different. Self-control. Lord, help me. Self-control. What is he saying? Stuff is going to happen. I don't care. People are going to say stuff. I don't care. It's not always going to work out the way you think. I don't care. You know why? Because I've given you something. Self-control. 
It doesn't mean that the world and your reality doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for that. What it means is you're not defining me. You're not defining how I feel. You're not defining how I respond. I'm not conforming anymore. I'm a new person. And the new person lives from self-control. Faith. Faith. Faith is something that's born on the inside of you. Faith is something that comes in. And in the very place where my life is being authored, there's an impartation that comes from God, which is only available through him. And you know what it does? It puts you in a strange place. Because all of a sudden, I don't care what my reality looks like anymore. It becomes inconsequential because I've got something inside of me that he's promised me. And it's the substance of the things that I'm hoping for, even though the evidence of it is nowhere out in my reality. We don't get to live by faith if you're a conformist. We get to live by faith when you're a transformed person. You get to live by faith when what defines your substance in the core of your being, what has authored the very foundation of your life is of him. When I live from that, it puts me in a place because all of a sudden I'm no longer influenced by my reality. Doesn't mean I'm not aware of it. I'm not putting my head in the sand. I'm not an ostrich. The thing is I've taken the sting out of it. You pull the sting out of your reality. You're not going to define me. I'm moving to a different place. I'm moving to something new. I'm moving to something different. I'm no longer conformist. I've become a transformed being. Something new. Defined from new substance. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and four, 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by, in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Say, I'm going to be one of the few. I'm going to be one of the few. This is what he's saying. He's giving you a heads up. Okay? He's giving you a heads up. What he's saying to you is this. I'm going to lead you to life. Okay? I'm going to take you somewhere. But if you think the road is going to be comfortable, I'm not promising you that. If you think it's just going to be something which becomes second nature to you, I'm not saying that it is. What I am telling you is this. You have had the prerogative and the license to live in that place where you authored where you were for a protracted period of time. So what ends up happening is the things that have begun to define who you are have created uh, a, something on the inside of you which has defined your being. It's a model for who you are. And as a result of living from that model, you have trained your brain with certain patterns for living. Let me give you an idea. Life is going to throw all challenges at you. So I don't think there's anybody that's ever had challenges where they haven't been really overcome and rolled over and run over by a challenge. The thing about it is in that space, as a conformist, all too often what ends up happening is we allow that reality to begin to give definition to who I am. Mm 
And when it begins to define who I am, what ends up happening is I, I take away a model that becomes a defining factor in who I am. I am a person lacking confidence. Other people can do this, but I can't. Other people can get that, but I struggle. Other people can speak about these things, but they're smarter than me. So I have, as a model, insecurity, which all of a sudden takes root in that space. The problem with it is when I have model called insecurity, I train my brain to run in patterns of living that support that. So what ends up happening is I become a procrastinator. Why? Because if I procrastinate, you'll never know that I'm not capable of doing it. I'm never vulnerable because I'll never put myself in that space. I'll always make an excuse. I'll always find a way around it. I'll always try to do something else because what ends up happening is I don't want to move into that space because you may discover the truth that I'm really not good. I'm really not confident. I'm really not an achiever. And when you discover the truth, I'm not sure I could take that. We allow things in that become the model for our life and they define the patterns in the way that we live. And the thing about it is, when we live from those patterns for any period of time, they become second nature to us. That's what happens. What he's saying is, the road is broad, the gate is wide, it's easy for me. What he's saying is, it doesn't lead to life. It's going to steal opportunity from you because I don't want to do it. Because what happens if I'm not successful? What will people say? What will people think? Will people laugh? Will I be embarrassed? So I don't do anything because I might be vulnerable. Steals, kills, and destroys from me. Wide and easy, but it leads to death. What he's saying is, the way that I'm offering you is this. It's narrow and difficult. It's not saying it's impossible. The reason that he's saying that is this. I need you to be intentional. That's what he's saying. He's saying, compared to what comes naturally and what's second nature to you, this is going to be different. You're going to have to be intentional about sitting saying, I'm not going to keep doing what I've always done. I want to change something about it. I want to move into something new. I want a new model that defines me. Because when I have a new model that defines me, what will end up happening is my patterns for living will shift. So the encouragement he gives you is this. It's possible. I'll be with you. But just don't think that you can neglect it. Be intentional about it. So we're in an interesting space because I recognize that there are parts of me who I want to shift and change. And there are parts of me that I want to create a new model in, but I'm not too sure how to get there and I'm not too sure how to do it. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Where is your heart? The center of your being. Spirit. <laughs> okay. It's important. It's not body and it's not brain. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Here we go. Your heart was given to you as a book full of empty pages. You get to put the characters in there. You decide what characters are going to define what that book looks like. Here's the insight. Your heart has the potential Your heart, is, your heart is the potential to think whatever. But it is nothing until the thought is there. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your heart has the potential to think anything. But it is nothing until the thought is there. What it's saying is this. When you were born as a spirit, you came in as an open book. Ideas are going to populate that space. Where do your ideas come from? It comes in blank. It comes in blank. It is going to be defined by those thoughts that go into that space, the ideas that go into that space. Your heart is a hothouse. It's the hothouse of your life. Everything that you need to take a seed and allow it to germinate and keep it well watered and keep it hot and give it the light and give it the moisture and give it everything that it needs to flourish exists on the inside of you. It exists in a place called your heart. Synonym for heart, mind. That's where it exists. So any seed that gets into that space it's going to germinate. And when the thought gets in there and the seed gets in there, it's going to be taken care of and it's going to be nourished and nurtured to maturity. What do we spend our life thinking about? Everything that's on the inside in here. It becomes so important to us because we recognize the fact that I'm in the process of authoring anything that I allow into that space. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, guard your heart. What is it saying? Guard your heart house. Be careful with your heart house. Be, fair, be careful what you allow into that space because any seed that you allow into that space is going to germinate and it's going to start to give definition to your heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Every time you put an idea in and it goes into that heart and it begins to grow and it matures and it bears fruit, it's defining the canvas of your life. Ideas are big. Ideas are huge in God's economy. Ideas are powerful. Everything in the world is looking to get into that space. We spoke about it a couple of, of weeks ago. When you discover that, your own that you are your own worst enemy. 
Because when the ideas get into that space, what ends up happening is those ideas which are toxic, not only are the model for who you are and how you view yourself, but it becomes the essence that begins to define our life patterns. And we behave badly in situations. We handle situations poorly. Why? Because there's something on the inside that's growing. And God wants to sit and say, you know what? Let's rip it out. Let's get rid of it. Uh, let me just see where I want to go here. The wonderful thing about being at a place where you have the prerogative of authoring your life is this. You can make changes. You can make changes. How do we determine and define what comes into our hothouse? I mean, we, we're exposed to so many ideas all the time. Random thoughts. So what differentiates certain thoughts that get into that space and others that don't? We don't write the story of our life with a pen and ink. We write the story of our life through worship. You write the story of your life through worship. Stop for a minute. Deep breath. Now I want you to review and I want you to have a look at this. Let me give you some context here so we can springboard in a, into a different direction. Worship is not a religious idea. Worship is not even something that is exclusive to spirituality. Now you are paying attention. Every one of us were born as worshipers. Every one of us are born as worshipers because as worshipers, we have the prerogative of deciding where we're going to take our worth and our value and invest it. Every time there's an idea that passes your way, you have the opportunity to discard it or to sit and to begin to entertain it and to give it worth and value in your life. When we didn't know about stuff like this, what ends up happening is my people perish for a lack of knowledge. What ends up happening is I have ideas that are presented to me all the time and they sound so good and they resonate because my reality seems to look like that. And what ends up happening is my feelings seem to endorse it. So it must be right. And so I let that stuff in. And what I do, I give it worth and value. Come into the hothouse. That's why worship is powerful. Worship is the gateway to the hothouse. Anything that you have a look at and that you esteem as being worthwhile and valuable, what you've just done is extend an invitation to say, come into the hothouse. And it doesn't always have to be good. In fact, in most people's situations, very often, we've got a whole bunch of stuff growing in our, tox and, and our hothouse that is toxic. Why? Because it made sense to us in the moment. In the moment, I saw myself a certain way and I let that come in. And you know what the problem is? 
I want to just change the paradigms in the way you see things. The thing is, because I esteemed it with value and because I gave it worth and because I allowed it in and I gave it a special pot plant and I put it in there and I fertilized it and I watered it and I took care of it and it grew up. And you know what I ended up with? An idol. Anytime. Anytime you let something into your hothouse that grows, that is not of his nature, you've just matured an idol. We think an idol is money and riches and an idol has to do with what's growing in your hothouse. Anytime you have something growing in your hothouse that is not of him, you have an idol. And you know what ends up happening? The idol gets to use the paintbrush on your canvas every day. The idol has the opportunity to use your mouth and your hands and your interactions and your attitudes. And all of a sudden, I don't really understand why life's not working out the way that I should because I'm a Christian and I love God. But in my hothouse, I got a whole bunch of idols which are happily growing. Anytime I give worth and value to something which is not him, I'm just making space for an idol. Why is that so important? Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you know what it's saying? Take that and overlay that with creation. This is what you get. Nothing that was created existed. Uh, uh, Sorry, everything that was created existed in God before it was ever evidenced. It existed in him. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. God knew exactly what he was doing when God moved into creation. God knew exactly what he wanted. And when God said giraffe be and giraffe was, he wasn't like, oh, that's interesting. He knew it. He had already seen it. He knew everything about it. It was existing in here long before it was ever evidenced in my reality. Every time God said, and it was, what he was doing was he was taking something which was established on the inside of who he was, which had been given form and created on the inside of him. And he moved into that space and he used words to create. He was taking what was inside and giving it expression in his reality. That's why your words are important. You are a creative being and what's alive on the inside of you is looking for opportunities to come out and express itself on your canvas. Not every word is important. I'm talking about words that come from the heart. How's the weather today? Oh, it's fine. It didn't come from your heart. I'm talking about stuff that comes from the essence of your being. Words that are said that come out of your mouth that come from that place. Anything that's influenced or given form as a result of God or an idol carries weight because it is spiritual in nature and it's coming out of your mouth. It's looking for expression in your world. Let me give you easy examples that will show you. If you're an entrepreneur, 
You know what? You move into a space where everybody, all they can do is see the status quo. These are the challenges. These are the problems. These are the issues. We can't do anything. But you know what happens? An entrepreneur walks into that place, and what happens is on the inside of him, something goes, I see it. I see where we can go with this. I see innovation. I see what we can make happen here. There's something on the inside of them that drives a crew, an, an entrepreneur, that makes him innovative in a space that everybody else can't see a thing. Where did it come from? Inside of him. It's not living in his reality. It lived on the inside of him. But he lives in the expectation that things change and conform to what's alive on the inside of who I am. People who are courageous. People who are courageous will go places where people who are not courageous would never tread. Why? Because there's something on the inside of them that gives them the fortitude to be able to sit and say, I can move into the space even though others can't. It's okay. I can navigate my steps and I can walk through this. I can make this happen. I can take the risk. I can move to the precipice. Others will never go there. Because it's alive on the inside of you. Creativity. Blank, boring, until you're creative. Oh, imagine what we could do with color. And if we took that and we changed the form and we turned that upside down, what happens if we actually just threw everything away and started all over and did this? When you deal with creative people, you're dealing with something that's on the inside of them. And it's usually so big, it's like trying to deal with a wildfire. It's like, calm down a little bit. Why? Because it's alive on the inside of me and it's looking to come out. What he's done on the inside of you is going to look to get out and affect your world and affect your place. Oh, geez. I'm going I'm to finish this. If you need to go, it's fine. But I, just, I have to finish this. Sorry. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. This is God. And when he had removed Saul, he raised... Um, and when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave a testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Say it again. Say it again. What did God say? God said he had a heart. Did you hear that? God said he had a heart. Oh, interesting. So you're going to look up the word heart in the Greek, and this is what it says. The mind. This is God. This is, talking, this is God talking about himself. He's saying, David sought this of me, my heart. This is what God's heart is. The mind, the character, the inner self, the will, and the intention. It is the center of his being. And the capacities that establish who he really is. The fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. It is the inner man. It is the inner man. You were born and you were created in God's image. Functionally, as a person, when he created a living soul, he took spirit of who he was. I have heart. 
I can define who I am and what I'm all about and what my passions are and what I like and what I dislike and the way that I present myself. He created all of those things and he took the capacity of who he was and he put it into body. That is the essence of what you're all about. Your heart. It's the fundamental part of you. Why did he put it in heart? Because heart is at the very center of spirit. God's intention was always that his life defined spirit. He would always be, you would always be the very essence of his nature. Mm. Oh, where did I want to go with this? What it's saying is this. This is the difference between David and people. David was a man after God's own heart. Do you know what he was saying? I recognize the value of discovering who you are. I'm not interested in resigning myself to the fact that there was a God of Israel. I'm not interested in getting to the place where I recognize the fact that there's a higher being. There, there's some God up there somewhere who I can reverence and respect. I get all of that. That's the passport factor. I'm not interested in those things. I want to see your heart. I want to know who you are. Talk to me about who you are. Tell me about who you are. What was he doing? What was David known as? A worshiper. He was not known as a worshiper because he wrote pretty lyrics, because he wrote psalms, because he played an instrument, because he could sing. He was known as a worshiper because his life was defined from discovery. His life was defined from finding the essence of who are you? What are you about? Speak to me about what you are and who you are. And in that space, I recognize the fact that I can place value on worth on those things. And it'll begin to redefine who I am and what I'm all about. What drove him was worship. What redefined him was worship. And the result was that he became a praiser. The reason we come in here and sing is not we don't sing to hope that God will do something. That's not what it does. We come in here and we sing because our singing and our praise is an adoration for who he is and what he's done. Yeah, our praise is getting to a place where it's like I've lived out a relationship with who he is and I value him so much during the week and who he is and what he's all about and I'm allowing that to be influencing me on regular currents and because I'm not the person I used to be and because I deal with life differently and because I'm pulling idols out of my hothouse, he's done some stuff in my life that nobody else could do. And because of that, I come in here and I praise him. That's what your praise is about. And let me just, let me just do this one thing and then we can go. John 4 verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. You know what he's talking about? What he's saying is this. I know how I created you as a living soul. And you are 50-50 split. My logic and my understanding will inform your brain and your body, but it'll never give definition to your identity. I'm not interested in what you think about me. When you come and worship me, you come from the disposition of your heart. 
I come from that place that defines who I am and the very essence of my being, my will, the, the very part of me that gives definition to how I live and how I move and how I have my being. And in that space, I come to you, Father, spirit to spirit, and I worship you. And in that space, I recognize you for who you are. And I allow that to begin to have influence in me, not because of what I know about you, but because of who I am. What God is saying is this, those who worship me in, in spirit and in truth are people who recognize who I am, truth and value. And they come to me spiritually open and spiritually available. Their heart surrendered to me, sitting saying, Father, have influence in the space. Author my life. What he's saying is that is what spirit and truth is all about. I'm not interested in your head and what you know. I'm not interested in your logic. I'm interested in redefining your life. Because if I can redefine your life, the canvas that you live off of every day, I will be the distinguishing factor. That's what he wants to do in our life. Life is going to happen. We're ill-equipped to handle it as long as we're defined by the very thing that challenges us. We're called to be made new. The renewing of the mind, the renewing of my heart. I have the prerogative and the opportunity to author that space with God. I don't do that through any other way but through my allocation, my ascribing worth and value. Hold on to it for dear life. You allocate it only when it comes from him. It helps us prevent weeds in our hothouse and it moves us to a place with the spirit begins to redefine our character and our nature so that it looks like him. He does a job inside of us. Why don't you close your eyes? Just bow your heads a sec. Put your hands out. Holy Spirit, I speak blessing over every person here today. I thank you for hungry hearts. I thank you, Father, for people that'll be known as those who seek after your heart. Don't allow us this week, Father, to be reactive to our world. I pray in those situations that you'll extend an invitation to us overtly. Ring the bell. That newness is available. An invitation to deal with things differently. 
an invitation to redefinition, becoming new. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us and you guide us and you lead us. I thank you for the deposits that you make in us. And I want to thank you, Father, that people will never be the same because of their relationship with you. I pray protection. I pray provision. I pray healing, health, well-being. Prosperity in all of its forms on every person here. In Jesus' name, amen.